Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And I'm joined by our good friend and colleague from Stadium, Michael Felder. And this is part two, part two of a series we're doing on contenders, although this is the actual contenders portion. We talked about some teams last week, and you can scroll up the feed for that, that could have some special seasons if things go right. Um, but Felder, today we are doing the real title contenders, the ones that everyone has already penciled in for the playoff. And we're going to maybe poke some holes in them or at least give us some some questions for them. Yeah, I think the key is going to be kind of like, how can you hurt them? What's their weakness? Everybody talks about what you have, what's coming back. It's it's Especially it's a weird year to talk about returning starters because everybody's got them. Everybody's got them. But that's one of the like, and I don't know if lazy is the right word, but it is the word I'm going to use. It's one of the lazy, oh, this team will be good because they returned this many starters. That doesn't really hold true this year on a lot of different levels, but it's still a metric that a lot of folks use. So we're going to kind of look approach it from the other way, right? Like we're going to look at what don't you have? And like, yes, we'll highlight some of the the, the big spots or the, the proven spots that are going to be your kind of the backbones, but you got to fill in holes and everybody's got holes to fill. Yeah, that's a good little cheat sheet. If other people are just talking about this team's going to be good because of X returning starters, they probably did not actually prepare for the season or think about things. But this actually, unless they're talking about a group of five team, because I do think that there's possibly more depth on some of those programs like Cincinnati than others. But we are here to talk about the four main national championship contenders and their biggest questions. So we are going to hit Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Felder. Your choice for where to start. I mean, let's. I mean, let's just go alphabetical order. Honestly, like I'm. So this doesn't mean anything about who we think is one, two, three, four. This is purely an exercise in alphabetical order. I like doing it that way. Okay. Let's go, Alabama. Yes. Um. Look, you look at Alabama and like the biggest thing in, I know that you wrote it in the doc, is it's losing a ton of production, right? You lose your quarterback, you lose your, you lose your quarterback, you lose your running back, you lose two quality wide receivers. I mean, that's the, that's the key. How do you replace that much production? I think that's the big, big thing. Well, well so, so here's, here's where I start with that. And I know that everyone is assuming that they will be able to do this just fine. Sure. And our colleague, Ari Wasserman, who has lots of hot takes that we don't agree with all the time, has one that I actually very much agree with about preseason rankings, that Alabama didn't need to be number one because of all of these questions, because sure. of replacing like the best offense they've ever had, one of the best offenses we've seen in college football, and all the talent at the skill position. Like We could, have, we could wait and see 
who becomes, you know, like how Bryce Young is and like, you know, how the run game works and how the passing attack looks before we, you know, kind of have this coronation. I, I mean, it, it's kind of this assumption. We think that everything is going to be fine because they just reload. But like there was historical elements to what we saw last year. Yeah, they were super good. And the reality is, we I know Bryce Young is a massive talent. So the question is going to be how quickly does he get up to speed? Um I thought the Slade Bolden and John Mechie looked really good when they got on the, when they got into the game. They were quality, reliable wide receivers. So that's also one of those. Oh, by the way, the guy that we're talking about, kind of, he did start because Jalen Waddle went out. Mechie did end up getting a lot of real burn. Fifty-five catches—that's a sizable number for almost a thousand yards. So you look at the production, and yes, it's Harris. Yes, it's Waddle. Yes, it's Smith. But. What's return? They they do. This is one of those teams. It's maybe it's not returning starters the way that we think of it traditionally, except for up front that offensive line. Goodness gracious, I love those guys. But it is Jaleel Billingsley getting to kind of break into his own, which is going to be really interesting. I, I he's incredibly talented. I think that he can have, and I think because of this philosophy switch, um, he's probably one of the most interesting players for me with Alabama because. As a tight end, it does feel like we might be able to get out of him what a lot of us were calling for to get out of O.J. Howard six, seven years ago. And I think that could be a real difference maker that does take some pressure off the quarterback, that does take some pressure off the run game, and does also open things up for Mechie and Bolden. Yeah, and I, I think that's what I'm, I'm interested in, too, um, just what that passing game looks like, because they've just had such an embarrassment of riches at the receiver position. And obviously we've seen injuries, we've seen different things. Um, but this is, this is an, a, a less experienced group. And so I do think the tight end position can do some things to open things up for Bryce Young and the run game uh, that will look a little bit different. And obviously you've got a different, you know, you, Steve Sarkeesian's off of Texas, like things will be a yeah, little Bill bit Bryan, different. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, listen, say what you want about him as an NFL head coach. His quick flash in the pan at Penn State that got him the NFL job. He is a good offensive mind. And this is someone that Saban trusts because of those ties to Belichick. And that's all kind of wrapped into one thing. And I think we're going to see an offense that it doesn't sound fair, but I think they're going to do a lot of the stuff that we saw Deshaun Watson and the Texans do. And they're going to be operating at that level, not just at this, not just at a college level. They're going to be, they're going to ask Bryce Young to do things that NFL quarterbacks do. And I think that's going to be good for his maturation. Now let's flip it to the defensive side. Um, I, I think we obviously have less overall questions, I think, just based on what's returning. I think we feel really good about linebackers. What, if any, areas concern you? See, here's the thing. I don't know that I feel really good about it. I, I understand the returns. I'm super excited for Henry Toto. I think he's yes. – like Alabama hasn't had that linebacker. Like I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, Rolando McClain, uh, Dante Hightower, C.J. Mosley. They thought Dylan Moses was going to be that guy, and Dylan Moses really was not that guy. And Toto could be that guy. Um, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, you've got an experienced guy, Chris Allen. Um, I'm just curious to see what they look like getting after the quarterback. I love LeBron Ray. He 
he is like a bigger version of Joey Porter to me. Obviously plays with his hand down a little a lot more, but the way that he's so ferocious and pushes and controlling does have a little bit of, the, of Joey Porter, who was an outside linebacker for the Steelers ages ago. So I want to see how they get to the quarterback. I'm looking forward to to like I, the real the reality of it is is this is about one hand washing the other, and it's about whether it's Will Anderson or uh, Drew Sanders or um, it, well. I think those will probably end up being the two main guys. If it's about those guys getting to the quarterback, but it's also about the secondary. Because what we've seen is if Alabama cannot get to the quarterback or the quarterback can get out of the way, then the secondary has had problems. And they've had problems that started with, and especially if you've got a combo mobile quarterback and a big receiver, but we've got, we're talking about a problem that existed 2010 with Steven Garcia picking up 30-something yards on the ground and then Alshon Jeffrey just going over the top. Uh, obviously, Johnny Manziel in not 2012 and 2013 with Mike Evans just going up and over the top. And although they lost that, although A&M lost that game, I think that was the first mark of true fear for Nick Saban realizing, I have to score 48 points to win. This is insane. And then the same thing happens with Ole Miss. Yep, and the obviously. Ole Miss the same things happened with Ole Miss where he needed, what, a Deron Payne recovery in the in the end zone and then another Ashawn Robinson or Jonathan Allen, like a, like a long interception return or fumble return. He needed those points to win the football game while Ole Miss was doing it with their offense. And then, obviously, the the, the, the major strike is Deshaun Watson in, in back-to-back championship games and using an onside kick and needing a kick return from Kenyon Drake to, to win a football game. So... Because of that, we have seen this secondary, no matter how many guys get picked out of it, right? Doesn't matter if it's Landon Collins or it's Marlon Humphrey or it's any of these guys. We have you playing defensive back is one of the hardest things to do in all of college football. They call too many pass interferences, they bail out quarterbacks for bad throws, and you have to do everything perfect. And even if and even then, if the receiver's good, you still might be out you still might be SOL. So I like Jordan Battle. I think he's a tough guy. I really do, and I love love seeing these tough guys for Alabama. I, I think he's a guy that is probably better going down than going backwards. So you have to deal with that. How do you handle that? Do you play one high? Do you want to play him too high and not have him be as critical of a part of your rushing of your rush defense? Can you stop it with the seven up front? How do they put your seven up front in conflict between zone read and and and, and package plays and RPOs? So the one hand washing the other of the pass rushers. And the secondary, I think, is the biggest question because it doesn't matter if it was Clemson or LSU. Whoever, like, we see that they can be had if you don't get to that quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's also where it comes in to reloading on the offensive side because they know how to win those games now that way because yeah. of how they built the offense. And we've talked so much about that shift from Saban, the willingness to adapt and modernize his offense to the game. So they can win these games both ways, but it still is jarring to see Alabama's defense give up big plays. Like, and that still does happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. Like, happens that's to everybody. The, that's what college football is now. It's giving up big plays. Clemson had a great defense a couple seasons ago, and they gave up humongous plays because you got corners out on the island because you're trying to commit more to the pass rush. Guys are on an island. Safety can't get there. Quarterback looks them off. Next thing you know, it's one-on-one. You slip. It's a touchdown. You the quarterback underthrows the ball and you run into the guy, it's a touchdown. Or excuse me, it's a pass interference, a free first down. 
you mistime your mistime your long arm for the ball. Oh, he catches it. It's a touchdown. He goes up and over you and takes the ball away from you when you're in prime position. Now we got a huge play too. So it's it's really hard to 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 play that position. So you mentioned Clemson and Clemson's defense. So let's go to team number two. Yeah. Um, you know, these are teams again. Everyone's penciling them in. We expect them to reload. We don't even, you know, we're plenty of reasons to be excited about the next guy up at quarterback and next guy up at all these other positions. Um, so let's start there. I mean, for for you, when you look at Clemson with DJ, um, you know, Venable's still there, certainly on the defensive side. Um, you know, Jeff Scott is 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 gone a couple years, but Tony's Tony Elliott is still there after the Tennessee flirtation. Mm-hmm. Um you know what what do you where where do you start when you look at this this Clemson roster also Justin Ross is back so we'll 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 get into that in a second too I just want to see the the production the wide receiver production specifically obviously you get Ross back that's a good thing but I wasn't I didn't walk away super impressed with uh, Ngata and Ladson a year ago and I know obviously they were there were guys in front of them so that's a part of it but I also, I had such, like, obviously following them from a recruiting standpoint, my hopes were remarkably high on what they were going to bring to the table. And, um, like, seven games out of, out of Joseph, and we got ten games out of Ladson, but not a ton of production. And obviously, again, I know. When Amari Rodgers has 77 catches and 53 go to Cornell Powell. Cornell Powell, what a breakout year from mm-hmm. him. I thought that was remarkable. Then 48 catches for ATN, that's remarkable too. So I think that there were, the ball can only go to so many players. So now I need to see them actually step up to be what everyone that followed them in recruiting thought they were going to be or hoped they could be. So I think that's a question that does have to be answered. And I think it's one that's also worth asking because – it's so important to the pace that they play at that he can trust these guys. And it's nice to get Ross back as a guy you know you can trust. But watching these guys grow and settle in is going to be really interesting. Yeah, and I think I'm a little bit higher on those guys than than you are because, you know, again, they, they weren't asked to do a lot. I mean, think about... Not, it's, it's not that I'm not high on them. Like, I thought they were going to be, like, step on the scene and be ballers immediately. And... They just had. They just couldn't compete with the guys that were in front of them. And last year, I thought even, okay, yes, Amari Rogers. I expect him to be like their go-to, quick hit guy. But then when Ross is out, I'm like, okay, so who's going to step up? And it ultimately ends up being the senior Cornell Powell right. having an amazing season. And then instead of it, instead of those guys being receivers three and four, they are now pushed down further because ATN had the big year. So it's it's not that I'm not high on them. Like, I love these kids coming out, like, doing recruit. Like, I'll never, we, were, we used to do a show called Emerge, and we had so many clips. Like, we did a highlight clip segment, and I was like, oh, my God, these guys are going to be dogs at Clemson. I'm just ready for them to, to – I'm ready for the dogs to grow up. That's it. I'm ready. And, and I think it's going to be – I mean, these, these guys are going to be those next great Clemson receivers. I, I think that has been such a strength of this program um, and has been such a – you know, kind of defining bit of this offense, this wide receiver you, which lots of people love to claim. Um, so I, I, I'm excited to see Justin Ross. I'm glad he's back. Um, he was, you know, he's been kind of recounting how emotional it's been to be cleared, to be able to play football again. 
Um, and, and I think there's a reason everyone's, you know, kind of already penciling him as like a first team all American type, because, you know, we saw how special he was, he was two years ago and for, for DJ Ungalele, like we obviously saw him more than we expected to last year when, when Trevor, um, you know, was dealing with COVID, but that's such a luxury to have a guy like that, where, you know, I remember when it was Justin Ross and T Higgins talking to the coaches and, anyone around that program about just when a guy has a catch radius like that, you just, you, you don't have to be perfect and you, and you know, he can get up and get it. And um, so that's going to be fun, fun to watch. And then Lynn J Dixon um, taking over for Travis Etienne, uh, the running back position and um, just interested to see, you know, how they retool the offense after, you know, Trevor and, and Travis for so long. I, um, I like Lynn Jay. He, um, here's the cool, th- I, I don't know if he's going to be as active in the pass game, but the reason he probably won't be as active in the pass game is because he can block. Like, he was the guy that Clemson put in two years ago when they wanted to, him and Tavian Feaster were getting in the game a couple years ago when they wanted to throw the football because they knew that ATN was a liability in pass, in pass protection. So he, I, I'm curious to see how they juggle his load. Do you keep him in the game on third downs and let him block? Or do you send him out in the routes to create a truly empty backfielder to create five-man routes? And that is, that's also going to depend on what how mature DJ Uyangalele is. So, and the other thing for me, also excited to see Will Shipley. Very. Like, kid that's from outside of my hometown. Uh, a lot of folks thought because he had some ties to NC State, he might end up there. But nope, went to Clemson. And I want to see how they use him. I like him as a running back. Let's play him at running back, but I'm sure they're going to find a bunch of different ways to move him around. Kid's a pro, so this is going to be fun. And let's flip over to the defensive side. Um, where, wh- what are the biggest question marks for you? Is it is it getting at the quarterback? Well, you you talk to Grace a lot, and I just still want I would love any sort of a definitive answer on Xavier Thomas. Yeah, that's my biggest question. It's not about anything that's going to happen on the field, like. Is he okay? Is he going to play? What does he look like? Like, how much weight has he lost? How much strength has he lost? How much functional strength has has he retained? How much explosiveness has been retained? Like, all those things, just from a guy who, as a freshman, backing up those four NFL draft picks, I had one of my buddies as a scout. He said, man, they're good, but that kid three might be the best one out of all of them. And then to see him really suffer a season ago was really rough to see him not be able to play and all and whatnot. So that's my biggest question. Overall, the next question I probably have would be depth, um, especially up front. I know folks are saying it doesn't matter that they lose Niles Pinckney. It doesn't matter that uh, Jordan Williams transfers. But those guys are what, we, what I like to call quality depth, experience depth. So I get it that you've got Trey Williams and you have um, – uh, what is it, Moscow back there? Like, you have some of those, but they don't have the experience that those other players had. Especially, excuse me, especially Pinkney. I mean, Pinkney is the guy that helped shut down that um, fake fake field goal. So, losing them, I do feel like you're, it, it tightens up your freedom. Like, maybe they don't run an eight-man rotation this year. Maybe it's, it's down to six, and that means guys are going to get gassed. And what does that look like in the fourth quarter when you're trying to get to the quarterback and you, you maybe don't have it? So that's the question. That's my big question. Um, and then <sighs> the other, oh, the other loss too, Mike Jones. That was, I do think that that will be felt in some way, unless, unless 
Trenton Simpson is as advertised. He's a guy I loved him coming out of. Um, did he go to Vance High School? I know he's from North Carolina. I can't remember if he went to Vance or Powers, Power Eccles went to Vance. But, anyways, point being, Trenton Simpson, heck of a ball player. I've got to see him in person at a, at a couple of events, and he's just. He's got the build. He's got the speed. He's got the look. Like, I'm not putting Isaiah Simmons on him, but I am saying that I think he's going to play. He's going to he's gonna make a lot of plays going away and going towards the football. How concerned are you on the back end big plays? I mean, I feel like we're going to talk about this with each of these defenses. We're certainly going to talk about it with Oklahoma and Ohio State, too. Level of concern. Uh, Nolan Turner is one of my favorite college football players ever. The fact that they were able to put him into the national championship game in 2018, the 2018 season, they won that championship, right? They won in, yeah. Yeah, that was the death row um, speech after. But Nolan Turner is a part of why they won that football game when they took out Tanner Muse for freelancing, and he just does his job. Him and uh, James Skowski. James Skowski, excuse me. I. So he... Those two guys got put into the game when other starters were freelancing, and they've been able to ride that wave into making some big plays. I wonder what it looks like vertically down the field if they can't get to the quarterback. And this is the same question we're going to hear over and over and over and over again. Uh, also, oh, goodness, we think Darren Kinder being gone. Yeah, big loss. I thought he was going to go to the NFL a season ago. And then I opened up Twitter one day, and it's like, oh, he's at Georgia now. I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay, got it. So, I don't know. I think Landon Zanders has to take a big step forward. And that's going to be critical to them feeling comfortable rocking and rolling and spinning down their safeties so that they have extra bodies and run or they play too high over the top. So, we'll see what what like what his growth looks like. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't feel – if I had to say which one I feel stronger about, Clemson or Alabama secondary – Probably Bama's, but not by a ton. And it's going to be interesting to see how teams attack both of these guys. Like, you're going to have to, at some point, and I think about it whether it's like conservative teams like Pitt or um, Boston College. Like, you're at some point, you're going to have to take a chance down the field. Well, we'll, to- we'll see if Georgia does. I mean, this yeah, is something well, we were talking about last week. Are they going to actually throw the ball? Yeah, that's a huge question mark. Are they Are they going to do it? Because yeah. that's going to be the way that you punish these teams. You punish them for creeping into the box. You punish them for keeping one safety high. You punish them for uh, for for blitzing early and early in the in, early in downs. Like you, you should punish a first a first down blitz. Punish it. Go up and over. Go throw right behind it, and let's go play football. So we'll see if teams are willing to attack, or if they want to just play. Let's not mess up football against them. And just to uh, circle back on that, 2018 season, 2019 national championship game is the one we were just talking about. Um, all right, let's go to Ohio State. I'm, I'm pretty interested in this. We're coming off of uh, news on Monday. C.J. Stroud is separating himself at the quarterback position, which is basically, I think, as close as we're going to get to. He's going to be the starter week one. But, you know, they don't want everyone to immediately transfer behind him. They got a really loaded quarterback room. Um, but you know, that is one of the questions facing Ohio state is, is the lack of experience, the quarterback position that hasn't been a problem in the Ryan day era as they've underwent these offensive changes. I still think Chris Olave is going to end up being the best receiver in the country. Um, so I, I don't have, you know, 
I mean, I, I think the biggest question is... Better than Justin Ross. Well, well Justin Ross, I mean, have we seen him fully healthy yet? I mean, How until much? we see that, until we see that, I'm going to sure. go with Chris Olave, the walk-in highlight reel. Um, right. So, yeah. So I, 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 think, I don't hate it. I, I, I don't hate it. He's good. He's really good. He is. He is. So I think Stroud is would still qualify as a question mark, even though he's yes. going to be really good. Yeah, but it's still a question mark because... Has he does has got no burn like not, like he hasn't done anything, and so him then what he's backed up by what's the kid's name Jack Miller, mm-hmm. two young guys behind like it's gonna be this is gonna be uh, it's it's sink or swim and we saw we saw early obviously that um like we saw what was it a year ago Spencer Rattler right took a little time maybe if Spencer Rattler had had got a little more touch a little more. Experience, they don't they don't drop that those are that early game right, and they're able to hang around. So, if you're going to get Ohio State in the way that I'm looking at it, at least is get them early, and do all the stuff that I just talked about. Blitz on first down, change your levels, change your picture, change what he sees. And the other thing that we know, and this is I guess I will file this into questions about the offense, how Ryan Day manages this quarterback spot, and by that I mean we've seen him let guys play and I'm what I mean by that Justin Fields versus Clemson the ability to let him play they were able to use tempo they were able to get in and out of runs versus passes and let Justin Fields call his football game the way he needed to call it and then we saw against Alabama a level of micromanaging that paralyzed this offense it didn't allow them to take advantage of the same mistakes they took advantage of against Clemson where Clemson wasn't lined up Fields got the ball snapped Fields got the ball to where he needed it and now we got another play we got a first down let's do it again against Alabama trying to call the perfect play ultimately gives the defense an opportunity to get set up and then you end up with nothing and I think that's going to be critical especially where this is a quarterback in C.J. Stroud. He, there's no way he has as much confidence in him as he had in Justin Fields a year ago. So what does he let him do? It's, 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 it's a two-part two question here. What can C.J. Stroud do, both mentally and physically? And I think we, we know the answer to the physical part. He's going to do just about everything. But I think mentally, what can he do? And then what Ryan Day lets him do? And, Those and, are the, that's the biggest question to me. And let me add one layer to that that's a little bit more existential about managing that quarterback room. Uh, there's just a lot of talent in it. And, and Quinn Ewers reclassifying and showing up early. How do you manage all of that? Because he's one of the more interesting, even if he doesn't play, which I mean, I'm sure he'll get into some games at some point. And, and Ryan Day is making it clear he's not going to start. I mean, it's, we're two weeks away from the start of the season. Like he just got there. But the idea of reclassifying because of NIL, getting somewhere earlier, trying to manage the highest ranked quarterback recruit ever, and mixing that in, what does that mean for depth at the position? What does that mean for experience? What does that mean for the transfer portal? I mean, I think at the end of the day, you got to let them know we're going to give everybody a fair shake. But do you immediately and- do you immediately lose Jack Miller and Kyle McCord? Like, do you immediately like what else happens to that room once we get underway here? Like, that's where I'm saying like it's so hard. We have seen talented quarterbacks transfer from Oklahoma from Georgia, from Clemson. So like, I just, it's more of an existential thing. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do with these quarterback rooms. I'm not going to take, like Oklahoma's for me felt like they gave every, they gave somebody, they gave them a fair shake. They decided to leave after they didn't win the job. Georgia did not feel like a fair shake when we're talking about 
Justin Fields. It also probably didn't feel like a fair shake to Jacob Eason either. He lost his job when he was hurt, and then they were like, no, we're a from football team from now on. So he's like, okay, I'm leaving. Fields was like, I'm not even getting a chance to do anything. Okay, I'm leaving. I think the key to massaging these situations is being serious about giving people a fair opportunity. And what that looks like is mostly stuff people don't see, but that's practice time, and it's um, it's practice. It's also, like, whether they rotate uh, McCord and, and Ewers from scout to up, scout to up over the course of the season so that they're a part of the offense. They're, I'm sure they're going to be in every single quarterback meeting instead of just going to the scout team quarterback meeting. So, or the scout team meeting. I'm sure they're going to, you know, all travel. I'm sure. And it's just, it's it's about fair shake and just saying, hey man, this year you're not ready. Be ready for spring. We'll see what you can do. Everything's up for grabs. You you have to, like, and I get it. Quarterbacks are special and they're different, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But this is the way they treat every other position on the field. And maybe quarterbacks are so remarkably fragile that they don't realize that because they've always been told they're the most important player and that they're the special ones. But every position gets treated. Listen, I'll give you a fair shake. If you get the job done on the chalkboard, you get the job done on the practice field, you're going to get your opportunity. Don't, don't just don't walk away from it. You'll get your chance. All you have to do is keep getting better. And I think that that we've got to, at some point, quarterbacks are going to have to realize like that's the way that it works. Yeah. I think they, get to be in a position where people say only one plays and sure they move around now. Um, all right, let's go, let's go other, other question marks, any others offensively or you want to move the defensive? Well, the other thing is like, and out to, to, to put a button on the quarterback point, the other part is these guys can't do anything else. Like you can make a safety happy by putting him on special teams. You can make the offensive lineman happy by putting him on kick on, um, on, on field goal. You can you can do you can put them on on PAT. I, I've seen teams do it. They st- they they make sure guys get snapped by putting them on PAT, putting them on kickoff return, putting them on whatever. And quarterbacks have such a limited skill set that they can't help you any other way except playing quarterback. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you, I don't know. I I don't hate quarterbacks, but I do think that. If they could do anything else, they'd probably do, be in a pretty nice position to 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 feel like they're d- contributing. Oh, you mean so Tim Tebow switching over to tight end and trying to block isn't the same skill set? Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> I mean, I understand. I understand the type of block that it, like the blocks that he missed, and the guy dove down. And honestly, he he the, his the guy's goal was to wrong arm Tebow, and he, Tebow did in theory wipe that guy out of the play but he also should have realized he's he's so far down he can't get there and go combo up to the top but that's another story for another day okay um all right so so give me other other weaknesses or areas to attack for the Buckeyes. Uh, i mean i i i i love taraja mitchell Another one of my favorite players ever. We went. I called one of his games when he was at Bishop Sullivan, and the kid is remarkable. I think Zach Harrison is going to be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's going to be a very serious problem. And then I am looking forward to seeing however many reps Jack Sawyer gets, because he comes in as one of the highly touted uh, defensive linemen, and he's playing behind Tyreek Smith, which is going to be nuts. So 
I, I think that they're, if we had to circle a spot, I think that it's the inexperience at linebacker in terms of big moments. I know they got aged players there. You know, Pope, uh, Kayvon Pope is a senior and Dallas Grant's a, Gant, excuse me, is a senior. But the reality of it is, is that you've got to, it's not as many, they haven't had as many reps because you were playing behind, what was it, Tuff Borland and, and um, Pete Werner and, and, and Baron Browning were getting more of those reps. So that's the, it's going to be about them getting up to speed very quickly and realistically like they're gonna have to rotate those guys in and find the three that work or the two and the in the um the combo player that work and that takes rotation because the scariest part about linebacker is very similar to offensive line um and the secondary actual units like offensive line linebacker and secondary and to some extent defensive line depending on how many how slants games and all those things you run but those are units and sometimes units it's not always putting your you can't always put your best five on the field the way you want or your best three on the field or your best four or five on the field. you got to make sure that these players all work in concert. And so for Ohio State, I think the added task for them is going to be finding out what linebackers work best in unison in a game situation. Because it might end up being, hey, man, we've got to move Taraja to the mic. We're going to move Gant to the will. We're going to take Ronnie Hickman out. And we're going to put Kayvon there at the Sam. And that's going to be what works for us because those guys, they kind of they work push and pull. They work together. And so going to be curious to see how that works. I think in the, in the back end, I, I want to see Seven Banks kind of, I don't know if bounce back is the right word, but I want to see him have a good year. I want to see him have a really good year. Like that's that's the probably the biggest thing that I'm looking for is I want to see him – like I want to see him play his way into being a being a highly sought after NFL guy. That's that's my biggest what I'm excited for back there. I'll just add on the on the linebacker front. Um, also curious to see you know kind of how they mix and match there, but also that that tough Borland image of him being too slow. Sure is one of the lasting images of that defense last year. Like the the speed and athleticism that's required to play linebacker against. Again, it was an otherworldly Alabama offense, but you know, can can that element be there? The speed in that linebacking group. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a question that they've got to answer, right? Because um, they have to they have to. It's a combination of finding what I mentioned that cohesive unit and finding a unit that can play cohesive but also stop people, and if your best player can't cover someone you're gonna have to take if your best excuse me if your best linebacker can't um is a liability in coverage great versus run but a liability in coverage you're gonna have to take him out of the game because teams are gonna target it and they're gonna target it over and over and over and over again and that's what i mean when it's like you got to find the guys that work together and can make things happen all right let's get to oklahoma our fourth and final Playoff contender of part two. Uh, they're one of the more interesting ones, I think, on a year-in and year-out basis where we probably start from the same point where, you know, we 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 love Lincoln Riley's offense. We feel usually pretty good about the quarterback he's got. Spencer Rattler's got a year under his belt now. Um, it's clear, you know, he's Riley's putting a lot on his shoulders. 
Um, and then this is still a program that has made the playoff, but has not yet won a game. Should it be Georgia, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> um, and so, and because of the league they play in, um, you know, we're always going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about Iowa state could be one of the best teams in the country this year. They're going to be a problem. Sure. Um, and, and Oklahoma might have to go through them twice. So where, where do you want to start on the Sooners? I mean, Hey, I mean, I guess let's start with this defense, right? You lose Bookie, uh, Radley, Radley Hiles, and it's a team that just, I don't know. I just, I'm, like, I don't, who who gets you excited on this team uh, defensively? Nick Benito? Is it, it Nick Benito? Is that, it, that's who, I mean, I don't. I'm being realistic. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not being down on them. I think that um, they have potential to be good. I think I, I really like. Obviously, I think that Grinch is a good defensive coordinator. I just, they have questions about getting to the quarterback. We have questions about stopping the run. We have questions about playing assignment and alignment sound football. We have questions about giving up the big play with missed tackles in the back end. Questions about their angles. Questions about all those things. And when you have questions like that. It's really tough to, to do anything other than say, like, you know, stamp a, stamp a question mark on the defense and wait and see if they fix those little problems. Because, and this is something that really, it really does piss me off when people talk about Oklahoma or talk about the Big 12, but Oklahoma specifically, because they keep saying there's no defense, their defense sucks, they can't play defense. And what I see is a roster full of guys that LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, USC, Cal or Oregon, um, Auburn, Georgia. These are this is a roster full of guys that all those teams wanted. All of them wanted these guys. So where's the disconnect when they get to campus? Where is that disconnect? These guys aren't that different from the guys that Bob Stoops was getting when they played good defense. These guys would have been recruited by Bob Stoops to play on those defenses. So where's the disconnect when these guys get to campus? I mean, I think about Caleb, um, Caleb Kelly all the time. Kid was a monster. I thought he was going to be amazing at Oklahoma. Obviously injuries, but also just kind of flamed out. So where's the disconnect? I think that's the biggest question that I have because these dudes are sought after. Teams want these guys. Teams that, what we, that play what we call good defense. You think Arkansas wouldn't have killed to have a bunch of these guys on there to that to flip to sign with Arkansas? Absolutely. But Arkansas plays way better defense than them. Why? Because Arkansas plays sound defense. You think TCU wouldn't kill to have a bunch of these players? Absolutely. But TCU somehow plays better defense. Iowa State, the team you mentioned, they would have loved to get. Obviously, Nick Panier. They would have loved to get Delarian Turnerell. They would have loved to get a DJ Graham. They would have loved to get some of these guys. But yet, they play better defense with the guys they have. So, the question that needs to be answered about Oklahoma and with Oklahoma, and the question Oklahoma needs to answer, is what happens when they get there? What happens when they get there? Is this a strength and conditioning issue? Is it a practice time or practice attention issue? Is it a coaching problem? What is it? What is the problem about why they can't do it? 
Are there any reasons that you think they're going to be better? Another year with Alex Grinch. I mean, this is someone that was, you know. He's the man. Yeah. I I, 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 I have an answer. Like, well, he's been there. This is year three for him? I think that's right. Year three. So, last year in a shortened season, they gave up 22 points, which was better than a year ago. They gave up 27. So, incremental improvement, that's good. I think that's something that you can look forward to. It's um, it's 100% up to how they're able to, to um, stop the run. Like, you can't give up 200. I don't care that they won 62 to 28. You can't give up 200 rushing yards to Texas Tech. You can't do that. Because guess what? Oklahoma State's watching that. And you, they give up 200, but you still win. You win because you score quicker than they can score, but they're still amassing yardage because they're impatient. Like, I don't look at any of these numbers and think, great job defense. Right. Although I do, I do think, and this is something I've talked to defensive coaches in that league with, you do have to think differently about metrics that we're used to sure. saying that, are good well, or bad. Which is why I look at yards per play. Right. Two games with under five yards per play. Over 10 yards per play, even though they beat Oklahoma, even though they beat Florida, over 10 yards per play. The, 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 like, the best defense – oh, excuse me. I'm looking at the wrong – I'm sorry. I was looking at their offense. Let me go – let me flip it over. That's my bad. Yeah, so Oklahoma, 3-3-3, three, 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 that's three, four. So four games with under – five games with under five yards per play. But seven, seven and a seven and four, seven point four five against Iowa State. That's not good. Seven six against Kansas State. That's not good. Six over six for Florida. Like you think about that. If you're getting six yards per play, you're getting a first down every other play. It's just about these little things. Like I just am. Yeah, and I missed, that's my mistake. I was reading the I was reading the wrong numbers. I was reading the Oklahoma numbers, which it's insane that they had ten yards per play against Florida, but. <laughs> It's also not good that they gave up six yards per play against Florida. And looking at the, like, this is a team that, I mean, the reality of it is, if they didn't turn teams over as much, they would not, they'd be in more trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like, they turn teams over. And that's a huge positive. That's something that you want to have happen. But Norwood's gone, Brown's gone. Two of the guys that led them in interceptions a season ago. And by the way, don't know if you got this is something I've talked about a lot. Inter, turnovers are fleeting. They're not all created equal. There's a humongous difference between a tip ball interception and a, a, a fumble, a, a snap exchange or a missed uh, zone read exchange that you recover and putting your hat on the football and knocking it out or covering someone so well that you pick it off. So it's just... They, they turned people over a season ago. I don't, and I'm not one of those people that's like, well, they had 16 interceptions a season ago. They'll just keep doing that because that's really hard to do, especially with some new faces at the cornerback spot. So we'll see what happens. I think that they've got to get, like, you want to play in that, you want to play in the three to the four yards per play. When you get into six, now you have to turn people over because otherwise they're just going to keep getting first downs. So... I don't know. I don't mean to ramble. I just am, like, I don't see anything on here that's going to make me get super excited about the defense. I do think that they have an opportunity to continue that incremental improvement. What was it? Six points from a year, two years ago, six points to last year. But guess what? If they go down six more points this year, now we're talking about 15 points. And that's a, that's, that's actually, that's a really good defense. 
Yeah, and and I, I'm with you totally. I, I think um, you know that incremental growth, the the, the littler things, um, trying to figure out where those mistakes are coming from defensively, where those, um, you know, is is it a misassignment? Is it is it conditioning? Whatever it might be, um, is is part of the reason that everyone buys into Iowa State so much, which is why I think they're a really interesting foil in the Big Twelve because they're right. so sound yep. and um, they like kind of what you were talking about with the amount of talent on the defense, like they should be better versus like a, the sum is greater than the parts of the whole, which is kind of the Iowa State thing. And I'll also just mention, because again, we're sort of talking about like, you know, that's going to be maybe, you know, their biggest challenge, certainly in the regular season. Like this is also an Iowa State offense, or sorry, program that uh, totally revamped their offseason conditioning. I wrote a story about this on The Athletic, so you can, you can find it if you want, mm-hmm. to be fresher later into right. the season. They felt like they were last year. So these are just things that are going to, you know, these are gonna, this is how people, in especially Iowa State, are going to attack Oklahoma. So these are just things to, to keep in mind. I mean, I think we're all excited to see them offensively. We're excited to see Rattler. Um, but, you know, until that defense takes that next step, they're still going to have to outscore teams. Yeah. And that's that's how they win. They can do it. They can outscore teams. I'm excited. I mean, listen, we they raided Tennessee for Wanya Morris, who's awesome. And obviously Eric Gray, I thought, really started to come on a season ago. Um, so I think they're sound at running back. They're going to be sound at quarterback. Spencer Rattler, obviously, a lot of people have projected as the first pick in the NFL draft. Uh, they got a lot of big experience up front. Um I mean, Bray Walker isn't even expected to start this year, and this can, he can play. So that's going to be nice. And I'll be – listen, you mentioned um, Chris Olave. You pick your poison with Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood, and Marvin Mims. I mean, these guys are special. Hazelwood's another guy. He's from Georgia. Goes to Oklahoma and immediately just gets it done. Theo Weiss from Texas goes up there. He can get the job done. He's super physical. I love how angry he plays. And then Marvin Menz really came on strong as kind of a little go-to guy. So they've got wide receivers. Oh, and Austin Stogner. We, I don't think he gets mentioned enough at the tight end spot as someone who's just got the ability to go to go out and get the job done. So, yeah, I mean, I just think defensively, I want these play, like, I want these players to be as good as they can be. I don't know where the disconnect happens when they get to campus, but I want them to be as good as they can be. I, I'm not going to bank on turnovers because they're so up and down from a, on a year-over-year standpoint. So if you don't get turnovers, that means they're on the field longer. And if they're going to continue to give up more yards per play than, than the four, then they're going to have problems stopping teams. So this, that's, that's the improvement I want to see. All right, so we'll wrap there for part two of our contenders, um, the actual contenders, we can call it that. Um, those are the four teams that a lot of people have penciled into the playoff. Uh, they, for good, obvious reasons, we have seen them in there many, many times. Um, and before we get to last call, just wanted to quick reminder, next week we are going to do a full-on pre-season preview. If you have any fun categories or topics you want us to hit, please tweet us in the bleachers at Nicole Auerbach. Uh, but Felder, before we go, we have to do a last call segment. Sure. This is a uh, part of the podcast for those who are new and listening for the first time it is it is a rant or a rave it is something you would cheers to at two in the morning as the bar is closing um and and felder i'll go first that we haven't hit on this at all in this podcast because everyone's been writing and talking about it all week it's this concept of a big 10 acc pac-12 alliance and i've got to say so we you know we can debate the merits of of why these three leagues would do it 
um, sure. you know, kind of to, as, as a counter punch, uh, countermeasure to the SEC being aggressive. But I just love the name. I think if it happens, we got to call it the Alliance. It just flows really well. It show it's 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 that's what it is. It would be alignment. It wouldn't be you know adding members to different conferences. And I think it, it provides that uh, that 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 checks and balance for for the SEC. But I just like the name. My my, my iPhone for whatever reason, maybe because of the AAF. But my my iPhone's autocorrecting it, and and I kind of like the way it looks. I dig it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, the next couple of years, how this all shakes out. Um, for me, I'm just honestly, who I gotta I, I'm gonna be positive and just be like. I'm doing, I'm like getting back into my football groove. And so it feels good to be back in the groove, back in my spreadsheets, back with my two monitors, back with my watching teams, back with watching who's doing what, back with charting plays, back with writing out a full schedule, back with doing all these things that are really kind of just like my bread and butter. Um, shout out do to my have, guy. Do you have your little note, notepad, your little notes? Oh yeah, I got my notes. Okay. It's oh, yeah. just very small little piece of paper, very small handwriting. No, it's, it's a it's a reg, it's a regular size notebook. Don't it's not a small it's a, notebook. It, well, it, I thought it was you the piece of paper individually is small, no? Oh, 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 you're no. So this is okay, there's two different things. So this is my this is my notebook, okay? okay. Yes. That's my notebook. It's a classic spiral college rule notebook. No. What I have when I go on air is a very small piece of paper with all the bullet points for everything that I have to talk about and any specific stats that I want to mention. It is literally a, I listen, I like to recycle. I care about the environment. So I go from our waste bin, like the little, the little bin where people print out something that they didn't mean to print out. I take paper from there, I fold it in half, I write on the blank side, I fold it in half, then I fold it into thirds, and then I have six, fa- six faces of paper to write on. Six faces of paper. See, I'm excited about this, because this is what like, I love. I have six faces of paper to write on. If I'm doing a one hour show, that I use all six because a one hour show is usually six blocks or four, four long blocks. So I use all six sides of the paper. I turn the paper over this way, this way, flip it back the other way. See, I can tell you, you look at you. You're so happy. If I'm, if I'm doing a half hour show, I only need two panels, sometimes three panels. So guess what? I flip that paper over, reuse the other side the next day or the next week. It's all, it's all, yeah, it's all coming together. I'm very excited. Got campus insiders starting this Wednesday with our preview show. And then, Next Saturday, I believe, we start the lead into the Conference USA games on Saturday with a little pregame show. So I'm excited to do all that stuff. And then obviously, we've got the Power Hour. Uh, I've got Tape Don't Lie. That comes out Thursday. I got Hand in the Dirt. I got something else. Oh, College Sports Now, too. So busy, busy, busy. But it feels good to be busy instead of kind of just sitting around doing nothing. Absolutely. On that note, we will wrap Power Hour there. Next week will be season, our official season preview and predictions. Um, again, if you missed part one of our contenders, um, I guess contenders, pretenders, teams that could have a special season, scroll back on the Andy Staples and Show and Friends feed and you can find it. Um, and as always, thank you for listening to Power Hour. If you're not already an athletic subscriber, sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a special Andy Staples will be back on the feed. Ari Wasserman will be back on the feed. You get the new look Andy Staples and show feed with lots of different content, lots of different perspectives all week. And Power Hour will be back next Tuesday. So for Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening. (music) 